Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly, and access actionable data that drives student success. Good evening, Mike. Uh, Good evening, Tom. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you perfectly. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Um, so, Mike, I've introduced you as a psychology teacher and a cognitive neuroscience researcher. Anything else you want our listeners to know about you? Um, <laughs> uh, that, uh, that, that is an ambitious billing, and uh, I hope I live up to it. But, uh, no, I think, I think that's, uh, that's, that's about the sum total of my, uh, my interesting qualifications. Excellent. And I, I was saying earlier, it's always good to hear from psychology teachers about revision because there are so many, there's so much bad advice, I think, that a lot of students get. And it's really important to hear from the experts on the brain and how we learn effectively and how we remember stuff. So mm-hmm. I thought we'd start before we delve into some of those the strategies, which I think yeah. um, are most effective, Mike. Um, let's start with the barriers to effective revision what gets in the way of effective revision for students right uh okay so um i mean i think the 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 biggest barrier to effective revisions probably just the fact that actually it's the same thing as the biggest barrier to effective learning you know revision is just learning isn't it ultimately so the biggest barrier to effective learning is that actually effective learning is is really hard. Uh, it is it, effortful. Uh, it requires us to test ourselves, to test what we know, to use strategies that are going to uh, reveal the stuff that we don't know and that we're going to find difficult. And uh, that's that is that's challenging. It's challenging, uh, obviously, just purely from a, a sort of cognitive level at the time. It's challenging emotionally, uh, and therefore, it's completely understandable why students might find it easier find it less threatening and uh and more comforting to use strategies which 
which are not as challenging and which don't push them, which don't reveal the things that they don't know quite in the same way. And, you know, if you take something like, I don't know, rereading uh, as an example, which give you that sort of warm, fuzzy glow of familiarity without actually really forcing you to do very much with it. And therefore, you never actually work out whether you can genuinely write this stuff or not. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the points that you make there about actually learning is hard and revision is hard. And so often, I think, how students look for shortcuts and easy ways out. Mm. And, uh, you know, as you said, they can feel like in the moment they're doing something. But whether that doing is remembering or recapping, retrieving or um, anything like that, actually, uh, these things are not that effective. Um, Professor John Domlowski of Kent State University did a very famous study looking at 10 of the most popular revision strategies mm. and he and his colleagues found that eight out of 10 of them did not work or even hindered learning um, and the worst ones were things like using a highlighter and his argument was that when they're used rereading and highlighting they're less likely to integrate um, the information they're reading into a larger whole and actually he calls highlighters safety blankets yeah. and yeah. He also says that, to our surprise, it turns out that writing summaries doesn't really help at all, which is interesting. Him, His big ones were practice testing as uh, high effect, self-testing, and we'll be talking about that, um, distributed practice, spreading out the study over time as well. Yeah. Um, but thinking as well, you know, we've got these strategies which, you know, some of them don't work, some of them do work. Thinking beyond that, I suppose, about the conditions for effective learning and the conditions for effective revision. Yeah. What gets in the way for, you know, we're talking perhaps about 15 and 16 year olds here. Um, what's getting in the way for them in terms of effective revision? Uh, so I think I had maybe maybe 10 years or so ago, uh, I think it would have been far more common to say that uh, that students might actually just just lack the knowledge of how to learn and how to revise, uh, and and I think in many cases that might still be true. But but uh, I do think there's been a sort of a big change in that uh, and in schools sort of uh, transmitting information to students, telling students how to revise suggesting menus of research approved uh, study techniques and, and, and things like that uh, and I mean you know, this is very anecdotal but I've done done work in my own school with uh, with, with uh, students coming into our sixth form who, who actually I usually I, I only if I'm just teaching A-level psychology at the moment so I don't tend to sort of see them or interact with them very much lower down the school and actually, most of them have a pretty good knowledge of, of the sort of things they're supposed to be doing, which I don't think was always used to be the case. Um, sort of more proactive schools are often, you know, really re making this quite granular and, 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 for example, teaching students how to make and use a flashcard. You know, you can, you can, you can really sort of dissect this in quite a lot of detail. But actually, the, the sort of the knowledge of how to do it, I think, is only, is only one part of, of a much bigger picture um there was a there's a really nice model that came out a couple of years ago from um, a researcher called mark mcdaniel uh which he calls the kbcp model uh and so k is the knowledge of what strategy you might need to to do you know what are the most effective strategies what are the things i should be doing um and, and I think increasingly we're, we're pretty good at, at, at the K. Um, B 
is belief that it will work. And of course, the only way students are actually going to believe that this thing is going to work is if we are able to provide situations and create situations in which they can see that this works. And we've already said one of the key, key things about effective learning strategies is that actually it will reveal failure far more than these other strategies. So we have to counteract that by very proactively putting you know, the, the structures in place to allow, uh, to allow them to see the success of that what they of the strategies they're using so as an example you know okay we we might say well here's how to use a flashcard go in use a flashcard but how many of us then set a homework in which they are asked to learn something using flashcards and then allow them to have a quiz on it in which by accident or design we make sure that actually everybody is able to see that they've done well as a result of using the flashcards so that's the belief aspect. You've got to believe it'll work. The, the commitment aspect then is they have to then be able to commit to using it. So you have to, you know, they have to, um, you, you know, be happy to expend the effort required to do whatever strategy it is in their own time, in their own organ, you know, in their own routines and things like that. So they've got to implement that strategy themselves and commit to it on a sort of, you know, on a larger scale. But again, we can help there in terms of setting particular pieces of work that will, uh, that will encourage or force them to commit to particular strategies over a long period of time. Um, and then the final one is planning, which is basically where they are going to start to sort of adapt this for their own devices. And maybe actually they move away from exactly what you've taught them because they found the best thing that works better, works better for them. And if we can get to that stage, then we really, you know, we've really cracked it. But, but I think a lot of the time our efforts are still in schools sort of focused on that K aspect without necessarily building in the, the B and the C as, uh, at the very least um, at, at the moment. So, so I think that, you know, being able to see the success of what you're doing is, is quite a big barrier. You know, really believing in the success of it uh, is, is, a, is a barrier at the moment. Uh, and, and that's something that I think, you know, a lot of us could, could potentially sort of try and build in uh, to, to that, you know, to, in addition to the knowledge. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I, ha I hadn't heard of KBCP before, so thank you very much for bringing that to my attention. That's definitely something um, I want to share around. And am I right then in thinking that, you know, as with everything in education, the knowledge comes first and we can't really teach study skills in isolation from the knowledge that is to be studied? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Your yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um you need to you need to know why you're doing it don't you You need to know the rationale but also if you're going to have any hope of using the thing effectively you need to know you know you, what, well, why why is self-quizzing effective why is a flashcard effective it, you know because it it, it it well it will be effective if you force it to to make you do retrieval practice so well what's retrieval practice you know they need to know these things in order to be able to use these tools effectively so that yeah the, the knowledge of what it is how it needs to work in order to be effective why that's going to work does have to definitely come first um but then we also need to just i think help them to commit to it Definitely. And having, you know, having a cheerleader there to help them commit. Yeah, definitely really important. Um, so what I want to do now is I want to sort of delve into sort of, I hate the phrase, but deep dive <laughs> into some of um, 
the revision strategies that work far, far better than rereading and highlighting that are based on the best available evidence about how we learn and how we remember things. And there's nowhere better, in my opinion, to start with what myself and my students believe to be the number one effective revision strategy, which is flashcards, and especially the Leitner system. So Sebastian Leitner was a German science journalist, and in the 1970s, he created a flashcard study method called the Leitner system to assist in more effective learning. And it employs the concept of spaced repetition, which is an approach to memorization that uses time intervals. So rather than we, we know that cramming doesn't work, cramming information into your brain all in one sitting, but actually the spaced repetition encourages learners to space out learning over periods of time. And so our students can dedicate different time periods to studying certain flashcards and concepts based on the learner's own needs or preferences. Now, Mike, have you have your students used the Lightness system? Is this something that you've encouraged and encouraged your students to use? Yeah, they, they have. In fact, in fact, a few years ago, I got our DT department to, to knock us up a load of uh, Lightner boxes uh, out of sort of balsa wood. Uh, and then we spent uh, we spent one whole lesson in the new year. Tell spent one whole lesson sticking, like yeah, gluing all these all these bits together to make their own lightning boxes. And uh, it, they, I mean, they looked absolutely beautiful. They're a great piece of work. They, they, that didn't quite work in that they, you know, it was quite a bulky box to to either carry around with you or if you leave it at home, then uh, then then you end up not using it. So so what I now tend to do is I, I I have a supply of those at the back and I offer them to select students who I know their strategies and their, their working routines are likely to sort of allow it to, to be effective. Um, but yeah, no, we do we I, I do use them. I do I do talk about it and, and I do think it's a wonderfully simple and effective uh, way of way of learning. Yeah, definitely. I, I found that it's the older A-level students who really um, enjoy using it. I think they have a lot more patience than the GCSE ones because I think one of, you know, with any revision strategy, it's like anything, mm. um, you know, you don't see necessarily see the results straight away it's something you've got to stick with yeah. and the lightning system is not going to help you revise for a test you've got in a week's time or even in possibly in two weeks time um, but it's something that really you have to start and have to embed very very early on so for people who are you know new to the lightning system could you just very quickly mike um give a brief um description of how it works uh, sure. So, so uh, it, it's uh, in effect a, a, a rectangular box with a few compartments, four compartments often, there, but, but, but that's sort of flexible, uh, in which uh, each one will be labelled with a sort of a different uh, time interval. So uh, the one on the far left might say every day, for example, uh, then every week, perhaps every month, every term. Uh, or, or whatever, something like that. And the basic way you would use it is you would make a new flashcard and your new flashcard you've just made, maybe for information you've just done, goes in your everyday box. And at some point in the day, every card that's in your everyday uh, uh, compartment, uh, you test yourself on it. And test yourself in the classic sort of uh, flashcard way, you make sure you don't look at the answer until, you, you know, until you've either said out loud or, or written down 
uh, your answer to the question, you check it, you decide whether or not your answer is good enough. If you think you've got that answer right and it's good enough, then that can move that card can move up into your every week box. If not, it stays in your everyday box. So you continue that process for a week and on a designated day at the end of the week, you then also, as well as doing your daily one, you have a weekly test. So you do everything that's in your every week box. And the same process applies. If you're happy with those answers, then those things can go up into your every month box. And if not, they go back down into your everyday box. And so by doing that, what, you, what you're doing is you're ensuring that you see the things you're less confident on much more often, but also you will still you'll still see things that even things that you've got right uh, at spaced intervals throughout the year, you'll still be able to check that you know those. If you don't know them as well, then they'll be, they will go back and be seen more regularly. So it's a very sort of responsive, really simple, but very responsive system uh, to, to checking your knowledge and to filling in gaps within that knowledge. And this work this works better than simply using flashcards without the system because the thing about the Lightner system is that it's much more efficient. It's not just testing yourselves on the same flashcards. And one of, again, we talked at the start of the show about traps and sort of shortcuts and easy ways out. Mm-hmm. And students can feel much more confident if they're revising the stuff they do know. And I just and I say to you know the students lower down the school um if they're revising for something. The easiest thing they can possibly do is quiz themselves at the start, then, you know, of their revision, see what they've got wrong, do some use some other strategies to te- to make sure they've learned that, and then test themselves again and see if they've got it right. It's, it's, it's efficient, and it ensures that our students are focusing their revision on the things they're less confident about. And self-testing is, of course, very good because it encourages our students to actively answer questions and record information they've studied. And so, yeah, it's efficient. It works really well. I, I, I really... I, you know, I, I say to all of my students at the start of a GCSE and A-level course, this is a strategy which is going to help you the most. Um, any other advice you've got um, about fl- using flashcards or like the system or well, anything to do with self-testing? I was going to ask your advice, Tom, actually. Uh, Go on. Do you find, do, do you find students uh, are primarily, are they doing that with, with uh, paper-based flashcards or, or are they doing it online? Because I see quite a few students now doing what is in effect a lightness system, but we, you know, on, on Quizlet or, or, or other uh, sites like that, where they've mm. created these flashcards. And this could be entirely my prejudice. I've got no, I've got no data to back this up. But the, the process looks somehow a bit less sort of, um, less challenging, I think, somehow. They, 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 it's very easy to, to sort of just flip things one way or the other without, as far as I can see, you know, without quite requiring, and now, yeah, without requiring them to sort of do do quite as much uh, in the way mm. of, sort of hard thinking. So I don't know, you know, if someone with a with a degree of lightning lightning system experience already. Do you see any difference there? Do you, you know? Do you see in terms of whether they've actually made the cards themselves versus whether they've um, downloaded well, and, them, and just the effective online versus actually physically, and just the effectiveness of it. Do you, you know? Do you have students that do one or the other, and do you see any difference? Do you notice any patterns between those? I think it, I think I, I would say that the students who've got physical flashcards um, rather than ones online tend to do much better. But I don't think I'm not sure whether it's causation or maybe correlation yeah, with yeah. the students who 
you take the time, you know, the students who take tend to take the time to sit down and make flashcards by hand tend to be the students who are the most hardworking and more likely to use effective strategies um, rather, again, shortcuts and things like that. Um, so I'm not sure whether it is correlation or causation. I think for me, the number one thing is about making the flashcards yourself versus getting them from some place else and this is slightly linked into i suppose to the next thing which i really want to talk about which is the generation effect and the generation effect is the idea that information will be better retained in the long-term memory if it is actively generated rather than simply read. And Robert York argues that tasks getting people to generate things rather than merely reading them have a longer lasting and more robust impact on learning. And a lot of this is simply about reproducing things and being active in our learning, um, not just reading things. Um, a lot of this is about graphic organisers as well and thinking about how we organise our thinking, organise our ideas and how we can convey complex ideas in easier um, sort of displays. So, Mike, I suppose, have you, you know, what, what, what do you think about the generation effect and how, how effectively do you think you and your students have used this in revision? Yeah, so I think, um, I think I guess there, there is that we've there's always a trade off, isn't there? In, in our you know in our uh, the classroom environments where where time is very limited and we're teaching very you know, all these content heavy courses, yeah, we've got we've we've got a number of sort of trade offs going on at the same time. Uh, you know what the trade off between sort of variety of activities that we could do with them and the routine. Uh, activities that we can sort of get very automatic uh, and also the this idea of you know sort of uh, efficiency in terms of how quickly can we do the activities how easy is it for us to do versus effectiveness as well and you know how well do we think it's going to lead to, to our, uh, outcomes uh, in terms of their learning and um, I, I sort of see I see generative activities as kind of often operating right in the in the middle of all of these spectra. Uh, spectra. So I sort of, you know, I, I think they're really valuable, and I definitely use them. I would use them far more if I had more time. Uh, I, I, I do use some, but what I tend to do is I tend to give a certainly early on, re, you know, reasonable amounts of support for that. So, for example, mapping or, or in effect, sort of graphic advanced organisers. Um, uh, we, we use those so so our sort of primary diet in in, in my sort of level psychology course of, of retrieval practice is flashcards of core content plus a mind map that is then filled in again from memory a sort of retrieval practice uh and we i sort of actually i, I think those two complement each other really well one of the things um, i don't know whether this applies to you in your history course or not one of the things that is sometimes a limitation actually of flashcards is that although they're fantastic for the sort of the the individual pieces of memory they're not so good for the illustrating the place of this memory within a wider schema unless you phrase your question mm -hmm. in a particular you know way to, to help that um and they're not necessarily so good for, for then for sort of providing this overview, this picture of what they're studying and how does it fit, what, is, what part of the unit is this, what part of the, the module or whatever. So 
I really like the mind mapping to complement that because because that gives you this very uh, very visual concrete overview of of what should all of this information look like you know all together how does it link which bits are close together which bits are not yeah definitely i mean if i was asking my students to think about how they might revise i don't know hitler's rise to power or something mm. they could do some flashcards about the key events leading up to hitler's rise to power that'd be great you know, know those events but then to be able to organize that into say pardon me, a fishbone diagram with your cause and effect mm. or maybe, you know, or maybe a Venn diagram, things which were to do with sort of the weakness of the Weimar government and things to do with the strength of the Nazis. Yeah. In order to be able to organise that knowledge into a sort of system and organiser or a mind map, which helps things to make sense, I think that requires, that's an added layer of complexity. Mm. And I think what, this is what we're sort of getting at here and i'd hope this is going to be a takeaway for anybody listening back to this is yes you can use flashcards yes you can use the lightning system yes you can use some of these other strategies but actually it's worth thinking about how they work together and about how they complement each other and how you're not really getting a complete model of effective revision if you're using these strategies in isolation is that something you go along with them yes definitely and and also to think carefully about you know about how you use one to kind of maybe deliberately address potential limitations of of the other so just just as an example there you know the um the like if if i take a a, a unit that um that we still we study at a level there might be there might be some sections of that that for whatever reason can can just get lost you know I, i'm thinking uh you may have a, a unit with uh I'm, I'm thinking for example of the there's a there's a social influence unit in uh, in a level psychology and there's kind of three big ideas in that and there's a little thing in the middle of a couple of them which is about resistance to social influence which sort of links to quite a few of the other bits but it is also sort of its own thing uh and students just forget it's there they just you know they just forget its existence and they might have made flashcards on it, but because it's a smaller number and, and you know, it, it doesn't, they don't sort of grab the headlines, it, it's very common for it just to get lost. Whereas if it's on a mind map, it can't get lost. It might be smaller, but it's not going to get lost in that same way. Um, another thing I can do with a mind map is I can deliberately manipulate, you know, I, I like to give them a framework. So I don't, it's not just a blank piece of paper, it's, it's, a framework of the sort of key ideas and then they go off from there and and by doing that i can i can manipulate those ideas according to the sort of connections i want them to make and the connections i don't want them to make so you know there's a sort of very simple rule basically the information where i want them to make connections i'll put closer to its, each other and information where i know that they often get those things mixed up or i want to make a real point of keeping those things apart I will put as far away as possible and by by doing that i can sort of anticipate some of the potential misconceptions but also the confusions that might come about from just studying flashcards or something like that where actually two relatively similar pieces of you know, terminology or whatever might become easily mixed up i can help to address that misconception by creating a mind map which keeps those two concepts distanced in space 
Yeah, I think that's a really, yeah, really important message and really strong. And I hope that teachers and even students who are listening back to that recognise the importance of um, what Mike has said there. Now, it's worth me saying, of course, that Teachers Talk Radio is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Okay, um, we've looked at flashcards, we've looked at the lightness system, we've looked at graphic organisers and sort of generation um, and generative learning. How about self-explanation? Then? So I quite, I quite like self-explanation. And it's something which I did quite a lot at university when I was studying my history degree. Um, in when I was sort of, you know, I, I didn't revise effectively when I was at university. I did a lot of rereading through notes and things like that. But I did ask myself to explain sort of, you know, in the mirrors, really mm. key concepts. And that did, I think, help quite a lot. And it helped me to sort of make connections between ideas. Now, we know that there was a meta-analysis, I believe, in 2018, which brought together results from 64 research reports, um, which supported the effectiveness of self-explanation as a learning technique. Um, and it talked about the benefits, for example, encouraging students to actually engage in the material, aiding later recall and providing those meaningful um, associations. And interestingly, this review found that self-explanation by itself is better than self-explanation and an explanation from someone else. And it suggests that it might be because this supplementary information hindered students from fully engaging in their self-explanation. Um, it also showed that self-explanation provided beneficial outcomes for most school subjects and topics and so it's not something which is particularly um, you know restricted to one subject or subject area um, other research has shown that self-explanation may be more beneficial for subjects like science and maths so Mike um, what do you think about self-explanation and any tips for the listeners uh, so, yes I uh, I mean I, I think that's I think self-explanation is such a great um, uh, it's such a great example of of you know having how it, if you have a variety of different strategies that your students are aware of that they can employ in different times. Self-explanation is so uh, simple and also so versatile. And of course, by being self-explanation, you need absolutely no kit. You need you need no resources, no technology, nothing. Um, so it's the you know it's that it's the classic sort of perfect thing for my bus is coming in five minutes i'm not going to open my bag and get my flashcards out my phone's run out of battery uh therefore that's why i couldn't do any revision sir well actually no you couldn't do some revision uh because you can always always just spend some time doing a bit of self-explanation and uh it, it's i've sort of yeah I, it, it's not necessarily specifically about self-explanation but there's some uh, sort of internal research I did a couple of years ago. The the students that we had that were performing above their target grades, it wasn't that they used any one particular strategy, but they just had this range of strategies that they could employ in different circumstances. They reported a much higher sort of variety of different learning strategies than ones who were at their target grades or doing doing worse. And and, and yeah, self explanation for me really sort of. Uh, I think sort of exemplifies uh, that ability to think, right, I've got 
something that I could do so that I can spend my time usefully in almost any circumstance, no matter how short that time is. Uh, and, and obviously 30 seconds snatched here and there four times a week over the course of two years of, of, a, you know, of an exam course actually adds up to really quite a lot of a lot of time. So they're, they're very, very powerful if, uh, yeah, if you can, if you can get, get kids on board with just using them whenever. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. In today's educational environment, students and teachers are juggling a mix of face-to-face, -face, online and blended learning courses. Canvas by Instructure helps teachers navigate these diverse learning experiences with a user-friendly virtual learning environment that offers flexible access to courses and a consistent learning experience, all while streamlining everyday teaching processes. The world's best schools and universities are using Canvas to create dynamic courses, collaborate seamlessly and access actionable data that drives student success. I've just seen that Lucy's tweeted out. It's apparently, I self-explain in the mirror day every day before I head off to teach. Um, <laughs> Lucy, that is not what I said. Don't you dare misquote me. Stop putting words into my mouth. It, these pesky admins—they uh, don't do the job we need them to do. Um, self-explanation. Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said there. Um, I'd always sort of think about two particular barriers. The first one with any revision strategy is it's not effective if you don't really understand the material, in which case things like flashcards and um, generative strategies may help you before you self-explain. Mm. And that sort of, I think, in a weird way, it wasn't planned like this, but I've sort of sequenced these strategies sort of in order. First, you could do this, then you could do this, then you can do this yeah. in terms of sort of how we might layer revision in terms of that. The other thing, of course, is... Um, your self-explanation might be wrong. So even though some of the research suggests that self-explanation without the supplementary information from somebody else um, may be less effective, I would argue actually that um, when it comes to confirming the accuracy of your self-explanations, to have either a partner um, to, to give you feedback or to check with your notes, it may be useful to script explanations as well. Um, and But obviously you want to learn this from memory because sometimes... Um, that can hinder understanding. Um, it may be useful to work on these things in a study group as well. Um, I mean, the good old cone of learning, which has been highly discredited now, suggests that um, we remember, what, 90% of things that we teach to somebody else or something like that. We know those statistics um, 
have come from somebody's backside. But um, I do think that actually presenting those explanations out loud um, and thinking about how we might present them to others may actually be um, particularly useful. Uh, I suppose the question for you, Mike, would be if a student is engaging in self-explanation and then sort of stops and gets stuck because and end up pausing when they're not quite sure what's next what, should, what at, at that stage what should they do so the this was in a situation where they they're trying to do some revision they're trying to self they're using self-explanation as a strategy. Right. They might have their graphic organizer in front of them and they might be going, oh, and so this happens. And then as a result, this happens. Oh, I'm not quite sure what happens next. Right. What should they do at that stage? Okay. So, so um, I mean, as the, in line with, I suppose, what we said at the start, that actually effective revision is, is effective learning. What's a, you know, a crucial part of effective learning is getting feedback and then, doing something with that feedback isn't it so actually i think uh if you if you grind to a halt if you come to a point where you realize you don't really know what you're talking about anymore uh then then that's absolutely fine you just have to uh you just have to recognize that then you go back to your resources you check what you're saying but then crucially once you've identified whether you were right or not or what the what the differences were you have another go that may be at the same point, maybe another go in a few days or in a week's time or whatever, but you, you follow up on that and you, you do it again better. Uh, and that's, you know, that's the key part of learning. It's not actually whether you got it right or wrong the first time, is it? It's the fact that you subsequently are going to be better at it for having done that bit of practice. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, um, just to round off in the last five minutes or so, we've done, we've talked about the lightness system, we've talked about generative strategies, we've talked about um, self-explanation, and then finally worked examples. Now, the science and math teachers who I know um, absolutely swear by worked examples, um, especially for complex tasks. And I did A-level maths, and I wish I'd used more, I'd had more worked examples, and I wish I understood more about that, because I think I'd have done a lot better. Um is worked examples a strategy which can be used across multiple subjects, do you think? Or is it the preserve of science and maths? It's, I mean, I, I think, I, I think there, there are, there are aspects of probably all subjects which, which can benefit from them. However, yeah, the, the extent to which they will be useful across the whole subjects is definitely going to vary. Um, I mean, I, I'm thinking of uh, as a, an English teacher called called Tom Needham, who who does a lot of uh, work and has written books about using cognitive load theory in, in English lessons, and uh, and um, you know really sort of following a lot of those sort of the guidance of the, the things like worked examples, examples and non-examples, and and these you know those sorts of uh, those sorts of strategies in in an area that you might not. Sort of automatically have assumed it would work, uh, and it's very, very convincing. And what I think what he writes is, is, is excellent. But it it probably isn't going to generalise to to certainly to to all parts of of those perhaps slightly more uh, or, or well, less mathsy and sciencey subjects that don't have this absolute set process to follow, where you can't as clearly demarcate a correct example from a non-example and things like that. Um, so we, I mean, we do we do use them um, in uh, we, we, in our sort of maths components and things that we have to do. Um, I think they're quite interesting uh, 
to, to try to use those sorts of things in sort of simplified paragraph structuring and things like that as well. So we, we do, I mean, I don't quite call them worked examples, but in effect, it's that sort of thing uh, with, with writing sort of more challenging evaluation paragraphs uh, and things like that early on uh, with, uh, with our new students. And then we sort of gradually remove that scaffolding. So, so you, you know, those sorts of processes of writing and communication, I think, are also potentially amenable to it, and that that might open those things up, perhaps, to 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 it being relevant in more subjects. Uh, but I, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a major part of certainly not of the revision that I would I would do uh, in, in my subject. It, it's uh, it's something we might do in class, but it's not a thing I would necessarily recommend pro or provide resources for for revision. Mm. No, I think you've, I've always appreciated a little bit of nuance there. And I'd always say with worked examples, especially in a very you know he literacy heavy subject like mine, which is history, mm. um, it can students can very easily mimic without understanding, especially when it comes to paragraphs. And actually, the self explanation comes in here, um, the understanding of how you know it all fits together and why it all fits together or why it does, I think, is so so important. And it can be very easy to go down procedure without understanding. And I think you know that's one of the little things I'd want to think about in terms of using worked examples but I'd all you know I'd always say with, from a history perspective if the best example of a worked example would be answers to past paper questions and I say it's particularly to my A-level students don't bring me an essay but bring me an essay plan so I can see your line of thinking and you don't waste time writing your essay um, if your line of thinking is going wrong because then that's a waste of everybody's time bring me your plan talk me through your plan explain it often plans might be generated in graphical form and yeah talk to me about it talk to somebody else about it and explain your thought process and I think that's one of the best ways from my perspective as a history teacher in terms of how we might use past paper questions by bringing me plans not essays now obviously some students need practice writing essays and writing paragraphs and writing bits of paragraphs and they might need something a little bit different but for me past paper questions bring me plans not questions um before you go Mike because I've got two more minutes until I bring in Andrew um for teachers listening who might have year 11s and year 13s or for students who might be listening because they might have typed in revision into Spotify or Apple podcasts, um, what's your final top tip when it comes to revision? Um, so uh, little and often, I think, is probably the, the thing I would end up saying most uh, to, to students. Uh, it's, it's, you know, revision is a constant process. Uh, it, it's something that it happens from day one of whatever whatever course you're on. Uh, so I have posters up in my room that say, how is revision going? And I make a big thing that I should be able to ask you that question at absolutely any point in the year and you should be able to give me an answer. Uh, so, uh, but within that, it doesn't necessarily need to be hours and hours. And if you develop, as we've been talking about, the right range of strategies, if you have a number of things that you might do in a number of different circumstances and that would complement each other well, uh, then actually, you can achieve an enormous amount just within a couple of, you know, five or ten minute snatches at different parts of the day. Uh, so, so yeah, little, little, and often uh, is is the key, I think. Mike, you've been absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much for sharing your um, tips, tricks, and strategies 
with us on Teachers Talk Radio. Um, you're more than welcome to hang around, of course, um, for the next part of the show. But thank you very much for your time. Thanks for evening. having me, Tom. Thanks for great. Been an absolute pleasure. Um, now, this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Now, the second part of today's show, um, I'm absolutely delighted. It's 8.16, which is one minute after I wanted to start this, but I'm absolutely delighted. It's been a long time coming um, that I get to talk to Andrew Cohen. Now, Andrew Cohen is the founder of Brainscape, a web and mobile study platform that helps students to learn faster with adaptive flashcards and cognitive science. Brainscape's been used by nearly 10 million students and teachers from early childhood through to medical school and professional education. And over the past decade, Andrew and his team have learned so much about student study habits and what actually works, building upon his master's research in cognitive science at Columbia University. And Andrew is obsessed with optimising the learning process. So Andrew, let's just check we can hear you first of all. Um, hope you're un I, I can see you've unmuted yourself. Good evening, Andrew. How are you doing? Good evening, or I should say good afternoon here in New York. Thank you for uh, having me on. It's a great format. It's fantastic. Thank you, Andrew, to have you on from across the pond. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much for joining us. And I, I've used Brainscape with my students for a past, what, two, three years now. And I can point to successes of the students who've used it um, almost religiously, I suppose. And um, they would swear by how it works really effectively, um, incorporating some of the things that Mike and I have talked about in the first part of the show in terms of space repetition and flashcards and self um, to actually improve students' outcomes. So I swear by Brainscape and a lot of my students do as well. So in the age of Google, where knowledge is so easily available, there's been a huge move away from memorization and towards skills. So Andrew, why are you so obsessed with knowledge acquisition and retention? Uh, well, I think, you know, a lot of people in the education space have, have made it an adversarial battle between you know, drill and practice versus true understanding or behaviorism and versus, you know, constructivism. And I think obviously both are important. Uh, it's, it's very hard to be able to make big mental connections between concepts uh, if you don't first have those concepts in your brain. So just because you can look something up in Google uh, on demand uh, doesn't mean that there isn't a lot of value for you having it um, deep in there. Uh, I think sometimes a lot of the, um, the backlash against uh, studying or facts um, is really more of a backlash against poorly designed curricula or tests where what they are testing is trivial information, you know, very trivial dates is, is the prototypical example. Um, so I think it's, it's more of a question of, you know, how do you, how do you take the part of learning that is the facts, that is the, the vocabulary or this describe how this process works or labeling diagrams or describing drug interactions or you know whatever the, the fact-based part of the, of the uh, class is and get it out of the classroom, personalize it, uh, have tools for the students to be able to do it on their own because that's what technology is great at. And then you can free up the class time 
to really focus on those constructivist activities, the collaborative activities, the, the problem solving, the you know, intervention uh, of the instructor uh, if it's necessary. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, sort of the long answer is memorization is still important. And I think the important thing is get that part of learning out of the classroom and personalize. I think that's a really important message there, Andrew. And uh, I, I know the education landscape in America is different to Britain. In Britain, there's been a real push in the last decade towards knowledge rich and knowledge first. And sometimes we do forget sort of the skills aspect and the application of knowledge. And what you're saying there essentially about the importance about memorization, the importance of knowledge retention um, is that it frees us up to think about how we then actually apply that knowledge. So it's really, so yeah, I completely agree with you there. It's really important that we make that as efficient as possible and that we find ways in terms of maximising that knowledge retention um, in order to then apply that knowledge to new and perhaps unfamiliar contexts. So from your position, um, what have educators got wrong about the best ways to make knowledge stick? Um, I don't know if I'd say they've gotten wrong because it's important, but I think there's been so much focus on making uh, learning more engaging, which is obviously a prerequisite to uh, getting certain students to, to pay attention, um, that uh, it's been all about, um, you know, the gamification, stories, um, you know, games, mnemonics, like things that kind of make it more fun. Uh, and you know, those, those can help if you have a student who otherwise wasn't going to pay attention whatsoever. But if you've got students that are either intrinsically motivated or you've shown them, you know, the purpose of the learning for their career or they've got a big, you know, exam at the end of the year, which uh, I think the UK does you know, better than, than the US with like GCSE and, and A-levels, if they are motivated, uh, then I think the, the focus uh, should instead be on what is more effective and not necessarily engaging. And I heard Mike, you know, as I was joining, talking about, you know, things like the Leitner method. Um, and, uh, you know, at Brainscape, we, we talk a lot about spaced repetition. Uh, that's super key. And so the, uh, the kind of genius of um, flashcards in general or, you know, things that you could um, weave into spaced repetition is that you can combine uh, the different cognitive science concepts of active recall, which is sort of think of something from scratch, right, the, the retrieval practice. Uh, you know, kind of flip a card over and, and you think of the answer. The metacognition, uh, where you're assessing your own knowledge. Do I know this? Do I not know this? Should this go in the hard pile or the easy pile or the medium pile? Um, and then space repetition, you know, g g seeing the, the hard things more frequently. And uh, if you can, you know, encourage students and teachers to, to really focus on those things, there's just been so much research showing that uh, those those types of tactics, that space repetition and algorithms, um, they eat everything else for breakfast in terms of uh, effectiveness. Uh, all the all the games in the world, all the mnemonics in the world, are, are nowhere near as effective uh, as uh, as getting the repetition right. It's just it's it's more boring, and so it doesn't get as much airtime sometimes. Yeah, uh, thank you for that. Uh, you've made me think of a couple of things. The first thing you've made me think about is what Mike and I were talking at the very start, um, which was about Donolovsky's um, analysis of the most popular revision methods. And mnemonics came in as a sort of low impact and spaced repetition and self-testing came in as a high impact. And the second thing which you made me think of was um, Professor Coe's um, ideas about poor proxies for learning. And... 
one of those things is engagement and trying to engage people and because we know that working memory is limited and that's what brainscape does it helps to encode into long-term memory because working memory is so limited um, what we often find is that when we're engaging our students with um, you know games and sort of bells and whistles they end up coming away with that rather mm. than what it is they're meant to have learned and it's something that I did very early on in my career I thought how can I jazz this up how can I really sort of make the kids love it and then in a few years time you know I still teach a lot of these kids now they may be in year seven and eight they're now my A-level students and they go oh I remember that lesson I did with you sir back in year seven it was really good we did this and this and I thought yeah that's great but do you remember what you were actually learning about? And they're like, no, not really. So, yeah, I'm fully on board with this idea of, yes, engagement is a poor proxy for learning and focusing far more on what it is to be learned um, is so, so important. And the way in, then, we're both agreed here is with flashcards. So, you know, flashcards do seem pretty low tech. So how is Brainscape solving, you sort of, you know, what educators got wrong with flashcards? Uh, well, the, the the beauty of flashcards, as I was mentioning, even if they're paper flashcards, is you know combining uh, active recall, metacognition, and spaced repetition. Uh, but when you bring that digitally, you add a, a massive component of convenience to it. Um, you know, if if you're studying something that requires hundreds or even thousands of pieces of information, right, of flashcards, you're studying for, you know, your, your biology, uh, GCSE or A-levels, or, you know, medical school or law school, uh, or a, a, a bartending or wine certification, right, you got thousands of things, foreign language, uh, you know, you, you're not going to just take 30 flashcards with you everywhere you go in your pocket, uh, and remember exactly, these are the 30 perfect flashcards for me to bring with me today based on exactly how I know them. So there's a there's a ceiling on how effective paper flashcards can get. Uh, but when you've got a mobile device and it's with you at all times, and you can, you can open up the device and just push one button, push study, and the system itself is smart enough to know when to show you the right flashcard based on how well you knew it last time and how long it's been. So you're optimizing the interval of time, you're optimizing space repetition for yourself, uh, then you, you have such a different degree of, of convenience. Um, very often, uh, and we've probably all felt this ourselves, whether it's with studying or whether it's cleaning our house or doing any other chore, it's the getting started that's the, that's the hard part. That's sort of the mental blocker. And so, you know, I, I think it was Mike uh, before also who was, you know, mentioning uh, he'd, he'd love to be able to uh, assess his students at any point of the semester and say, you should, you should be ready uh, to, to study right now. But that, that sort of, you know, in, in the old world before, you know, these technologies existed, kind of requires each student to every single day get out their books go to the, the chapter or the, the page in their, in their notebook or wherever where, you know, is the hardest thing and manually remember what to review, maybe manually highlight something and, you know, remember to go back to your blue highlighted or pink highlighted, you know, passages and have a system. Um, and so the, the best students who have a system who are really, really good at studying uh, end up, you know, pulling ahead. But the rest of the students uh, who just don't have that kind of innate ability or really motivation to just to get started and to know where to go really fall behind. And so if you can open up your phone, 
when you have two minutes, you're you're sitting on the bus, you're you're waiting for somebody, you're sitting on the can, you know, wherever, and you just push one study button. It's easy to study from wherever, as easy as it is to pull out your phone and scroll through a few Instagram posts or or TikTok posts, uh, and so that uh, enables the student to always be up to date uh, as the as the instructor you know adds new decks to the to the class and says um, your your participation grade involves five minutes a day of studying in Brainscape or whatever the requirement is so so there's there's consistency and all they have to do is push a button then you truly could uh, tell the students you know we have pop not pop quizzes but pop cumulative exams that any day of the semester you're gonna walk in and we're gonna have a mini you know, cumulative tests in the first 10 minutes, you know, five, 10 questions, 10 questions, whatever. I'm, I'm going to do that maybe three times, maybe 10 times. You don't know. You just have to be perpetually ready. It is now easier than ever to do that with Brainscape. Yeah, uh, I, I really like this idea of, yes, we don't necessarily carry our manual flashcards around in our, in our bags or whatever. And actually the ability to pull up your phone, load it up. And just do, you know, it might be five minutes before bed. It might be before you have your dinner. It might be before you go to class. It might be before you do a test. Just do a little, little and often. That was what Mike was saying as well um, in the last segment about actually not crabbing, but actually just doing it gradually over time and cumulatively building up that knowledge base. In fact, I'm looking through my Brainscape class, which I have with my learners. I've got 200 learners who are engaged with it now. And I'm looking wow. at the um, student who's done the most, um, has done studied 40 days and has done 13.1 hours of flashcards. So has done a t 416 wow. unique flashcards, which are, is amazing. And, you know, he's performing well above target at the moment as well. So it really is working and he's contributing to discussions um he is really bringing in that knowledge and it's really helping him um to engage with our course and apply that to some very tough complex historical questions so you might have heard that about brainscape my next question to you andrew is so is it basically like quizlet <laughs> well quizlet still i think is, is about 50 times our size um so but a lot of people you're you're right to assume uh, probably know about quizlet um, Quizlet has really optimized for the engagement piece. Um, they've done a really good job um, kind of with the uh, making it fun. You know, there's Quizlet Live, there's matching games, there's kind of, you know, multiple choice. They'll tell you a score of how you did. Um, whereas Brainscape has, has optimized for effectiveness. Um, one of the things, you know, that, that kind of enables Quizlet to, to be gamified uh, is that their their cards are, are for vocab only. So when you're actually typing in your, your Quizlet uh, sets, it, it literally says term and definition. Uh, and so when you have like a one word answer, it's really easy to put, uh, you know, multiple choice quiz, quizzes or, you know, drag and drop uh, space race, uh, you know, kind of matching things and tell the student, here's how you scored. Um, but they're, what they're doing is they're recognizing the right answer. They see it on the screen and they say, oh, it's answer choice C. Um, and there's tremendous value, as we were mentioning earlier, in, in the active recall, the, the retrieval practice, where you ask a rich question that doesn't even have to just be vocab, and the student doesn't see the four answer choices there, but they have to think about it from scratch. They have to think, what, what were the three causes of World War I um, that you know, led up to it, or whatever the, the, the concept is? And by having to think about it from scratch, they're, they're digging deeper into their brain, they're then having to, when they reveal the answer, they're not typing it in or, or choosing it, but they're, they're thinking about it and then they reveal it. They're comparing mentally 
their uh, correctness of their choice to what the answer on the screen says. So they're using metacognition. Um, and then they're using space repetition, which I think Quizlet uh, added back in sort of a binary, you know, I know it or I don't know it. Um, whereas Brainscape has, there, our space repetition has five levels. Uh, you're rating on a scale of one through five, how well, how confident were you? Uh, and we use that to determine exactly when that should show up. Um, and then sort of a fourth differentiator is, you know, even where Quizlet and some other platforms that have spaced repetition um, uh, focus is what, what I like to call local spaced repetition. So in Quizlet or in some of these other tools that might have it, you have to go into the individual deck, right? You have to go into chapter seven that has 20 flashcards or whatever. And then sure, within that one deck, you can have spaced repetition. Uh, but whereas Brainscape has global spaced repetition, you push one button and across all your entire class or in the mobile app, across all of the classes that you're studying, you know, whether it's Spanish and biology and, and anything else, you know, outside of school even, um, we're, we're able to pull uh, from, from whatever you want um, based on exactly when and how you need to see something. And so uh, for all those reasons, it, it might not be the most fun you've ever had, but it is, it is uh, supremely effective. And, and that's the type of student that really chooses Brainscape. Uh, is the person that has a lot to study, the hundreds or thousands of, of things over a long period of time. Definitely. I mean, I'm looking through one of my students at the moment, and I, I can see they've got all of the different decks, and I can see that on the first deck, they've got 100% mastery, and then on the second deck, they've got 60% mastery, because some of the cards they've said they're five out of five confident on, some of them four. There's a handful at the bottom there, which are one out of five, which I know they're going to be working hard on, and I know that when they click on that deck, the next time they choose that deck, those are going to be the ones that they focus on first, because those are the ones they're least confident with. So, yeah, I think, it, you know, there's a lot which really helps the students who are really motivated and it helps keep them motivated. Um, I suppose the next question is, how do I know that I can trust the flashcards in Brainscape? Oh, well, for the ones in your class, I mean, you trust them because you made them yourself or, or you know, you've got your students uh, cross-checking each other. You know, we have, we have a lot of uh, teachers, for example, that will say, um, all right, we're going to create a, a space for, for the students to create flashcards. So, you know, Billy and Joe, you're in charge of working on chapter one together. Mary and Beth, you know, you work on chapter two together, et cetera. Um, and so you've got a, a student-generated set of uh, flashcards by the end of the semester, but you have the, the students who work on the deck together cross-checking each other. Uh, and then as students are studying, there's a little edit button, a little edit pencil on the corner of the flashcard. You can suggest an edit um, to, the, to the creator. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of ways that you know teachers or, or uh, the, the class admin can handle the, the email that gets generated for every suggested edit. But you can create a constant feedback loop to make sure that uh, the stuff that you know your students are studying is is up to snuff. Um, for the stuff that you find on Brainscape's marketplace that you're not creating in your own class, um, I, I can't vouch for the for the user generated content and, and how well the um, you know the the feedback loop was in an individual class. But you'll see for a lot of exams, including actually four of the GCSE exams uh, for the UK and a lot of you know, medical and, and certification type um, content, we have what's called Brainscape certified content. And so that's where we either partner with a publisher or the subject matter expert. And our editorial team really focuses on making sure that you can trust it. Uh, so if it says Brainscape certified, you can trust it. Otherwise, uh, buyer beware. And then you can always make, make your own and, and collaborate, which is really how 
most people in schools tend to use Brainscape is, is for their own stuff. So, uh, sort of linked to that, is there educational value in making those flashcards yourself um, from a student's perspective, or is it better for the teacher to just provide the flashcards for the students? It can go either way. Um, I think the one of the values in making the flashcards yourself, as we just mentioned a second ago, is, well, maybe the flashcards don't exist already for my exact textbook uh, or my my uh, lecture notes or you know whatever so somebody's got to make the flashcards in order for anybody to study them um, and that could also that could be a lot of work for the teacher to have to make hundreds or thousands of flashcards for a class so uh, one reason it's valuable is is just to, to get them made and the teacher can actually divide the work of creating them among the, the students by you know you can you can give particular students edit rights in the in the permissions tab um, but even the, the value of, of um, using the higher level Bloom's taxonomy levels, right, the evaluation and, and synthesis of, of content you have to understand in order to turn it into good um, flashcards, right? They say, uh, you know, the best, best way to truly learn something is to teach it. Uh, and if you know that you're making flashcards that your, your peers might also learn and, uh, and, and study and not just you, uh, you're you're likely to take extra care into how you're really crafting those flashcards, which which helps deepen the knowledge. Um, but you know it can be time consuming to make uh, the flashcards yourself, and so if there is an opportunity to use uh, pre-made off-the-shelf flashcards, uh, or maybe even you know the, the flashcards from last semester, if you want to reuse um, you know what what you already made yourself or your students made, um, there's there's value in that too because you're saving the students time for making it. And you're then, you know, replacing that creation time with more retrieval events. Um, a retrieval event, I, I mean, you know, more more times that they're going to see a flashcard, think of the answer in their head, right? The retrieval practice, evaluate their knowledge and rate their confidence. That that act of seeing a flashcard, answering it, and, and rating yourself uh, is is super powerful, and it's quick, right? It takes three seconds, six seconds, um, and so if it took you two minutes to make a good flashcard. That means you could you could see you know ten repetitions of that flashcard within that same time period, uh, and just you know spread out um, over uh, over you know days or weeks. So um, yeah, it, it's it's a toss up. Um, there, there's value either way, uh, and it, it kind of works into whatever's most convenient for your students in your in your class. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I I quite like that answer in that it is both ways. On the one hand, you've got the generation effect from making things yourself. On the other hand, the time spent making flashcards, you could spend doing that retrieval, doing that self-testing. And so yeah, I, I like how you can see it both ways. And my final question for you tonight, Andrew, um, is um, what is your let's say your most controversial tip for teachers who are teaching a knowledge intensive subject, particularly like mine history, that requires a lot of studying. I guess I sort of gave it away earlier um, when I was mentioning about the pop cumulative quizzes or pop, pop cumulative tests, uh, meaning unannounced. Typically, you know, the student knows my test is going to be on this date. I've got a test coming up on November 20th. I'm going to study for a week before and then probably cram the most the night before the test. Um, and, you know, when that happens, no matter how great our intentions, we know students cram. They spend so many hours the, the night before, the day before, the morning of. And when they do that, they're probably going to forget most of the knowledge a week later, two weeks later. And then, you know, if there's another test later on, they're going to have to basically relearn a lot of it from scratch because they've, for they've forgotten it along the way. 
Uh, and so the value of, of telling students, I'm not going to tell you your test date. Instead, that we're going to break up the cumulative exam into surprise 10-minute mini tests in the beginning of class. And you don't know when it's going to be. So you as the student needs to be perpetually ready. And, you know, in the past, that was a cruel statement and you would have been a very unpopular teacher. But with Brainscape, as long as they're saying your, your participation grade is just entails study five minutes a day in Brainscape, the, the flashcards are there. I can see right there in the, in the you know, students uh, list in the learners tab that if you're studying or not, right, by how many days that you've, that you've studied, um, that's part of your grade. Then the student's always going to be prepared and maybe they'll be mad at first. When, when they hear that this is, uh, you know, what they have to do, they have to do something in your class every day. Um, but by the end of the semester, when the final exam comes and they don't have to study at all because they are just perpetually ready for it right on the spot. Uh, and then they remember all the material a year later after, after they leave your class because they've spread out that studying over such a, a period of time that it's now ingrained in them. They'll be coming back in 10 years and not just saying, oh, you know, thank you, I remember that great engaging exercise, but they're going to be saying thank you because I remember all the material that I learned in your class because you taught me how to study. And that's what Brainscape's mission really is. That idea of students being perpetually ready to be assessed, I, I really like that. I'm not sure I could get away with it, but I might give it a go one day <laughs> and, and see and see and see. Yeah, as I say, they wait. They'll be angry at first, but as you say, hopefully they'll see the benefits of it. I've got one more minute left you, with you, Andrew. So my final yeah. final question will be: If you want, if if you if you're listening to the show and you want to find out more about Brainscape, um, where should where should our listeners go? Brainscape.com would be the first place, B-R-A-I-N-S-C-A-P-E.com. Um, you can make an account for free yourself. You can make flashcards. You can find flashcards. You can even study something your, yourself that has nothing to do with your students if you want to learn a language uh, or, uh, or prep for some other certification of your own. Um, we've got a great mobile app uh, on uh, any of the app stores. Just look for Brainscape. Uh, and for tons of tips on better, better teaching and studying, you can check us out on, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, or the, or the Brainscape Academy, uh, also online. We're, we're easy to find. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Andrew. We are less than 10,000 downloads, I believe. Tom Rogers will confirm. We're less than 10,000 downloads away from our millionth download. I hope that right. once this is um, published as a podcast available to listen at all good podcast platforms, this might be the podcast that tips us over to a million. Um, I'll let you know either way, Andrew. Thank you very much for your time this evening. And um, I'll... Thank you to the people who have listened live to you as well, and also to the people who are going to be listening back um, on demand on podcast platforms. Um, your insights have been really, really um, appreciated, Andrew. Thank you very much, Tom. This is great. Fantastic. Have a, have a good rest of your day, I suppose. It is still the afternoon in New York. <laughs> Thank you. It's 8.42pm over here in the UK. That was Andrew Cowan, the CEO of Brainscape. Um, now, this show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. I've got a few messages 
from the web TTR hub before we um, finish for tonight. Uh, my first one is, would you like to be a host on Teachers Talk Radio? If you'd like to be a host on Teachers Talk Radio, we have slots available for you. We have weekly hosting slots. We have fortnightly slots. We have monthly slots. So we um, offer flexible working, I suppose, for the very busy teacher. Um, if you'd like to find out more, then you can check us out on our website, ttradio.org, um, or you can drop us a DM. We're on X at um, TUT Radio Official, and you, or you can email us if you can't DM us, and our email is info at ttradio.org. The second notice, I feel like a form tutor now. My second notice is in case you missed my last show absolutely delighted to say that teachers talk radio now has teachers talk radio events we have merged with the aforementioned teach meet icons to provide an event wing um, for you the busy teacher to advance your own professional development and we've got four really exciting events coming up at in TTR events. Firstly, the 2nd of December, it's coming very soon, we have Teachers Talk English. That's going to be an online event on that Saturday. It will be me behind the scenes ensuring that all of the speakers are able to speak. And we've got some amazing speakers. I'm trying to think who we've got. We've got Hayley Hughes. Um, we've got a few others as well. Um, some fantastic people. And I'm really looking forward to hearing um, from our English speakers. Um, on the 6th of February, also an online event, we have Teachers Talk Sociology. So hear from um, all of the wonderful sociology teachers about developments in that subject. Then on the 16th of March, having done face to face the year before, we've got Teachers Talk History, um, another online event. And then finally, on the 20th of April, we do have a face to face event in Manchester. We have Teachers Talk Science. If you'd like to find out more about our different events, our face to face and online events for you, a busy teacher to enhance your domain specific professional development do go to our website and that is ttradio.org forward slash events or you can follow ttr events on twitter we are ttr events one um let's talk about some of our shows in the past and shows in the future so a big shout out first of all to our wonderful weekly reviewers um last sunday we had nathan ginn shaniqua edwards Haid. Um, Hannah Wilson and Joe Fox. 8,000 viewers um, on last weekend's weekly review. Absolutely amazing figures. And you can catch up with last weekend's weekly review on our Twitter feed. And um, this weekend, this Sunday coming up, we've got an all new um, do we have an all new? Um, yeah, we do have an all new panel. Um, so a bit of change. Lucy is um, behind the scenes tonight, but she'll be in front of a camera on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And she'll be joined by Christopher Vows, John Gibbs and our very first um, first time reviewer, Catherine Taylor. And we'll be reviewing the week in education. We've got quite a lot to review, haven't we? We've got a new schools minister who used to be the education secretary. We've got a new report out about teachers workload and well-being the worst it's been in years surprise surprise um so yeah we've got a lot to review um and also we've got some more um, spaces on this week so tomorrow night brent poland and adam space adam space adam spence are back with education tonight um they're going to be talking about this week in education as well and they're always very entertaining listen so um, i will certainly be there listening to brent and adam on friday night we have tolly mccarthy really excited to have tolly every month um she's going to be i believe she's talking about music technology um and i'm you know i'm, I'm a really big fan i teach one hour a week of year seven music so i always um value 
giving music a slot on our spaces shows and on sunday at 11 a.m we have omar pazar as well um couple more notices from me in my form tutor mode first of all um 24th to 26th of january it's the bet show do you come and talk to us at bet show and um, we're going to be really excited to be there um, talking to lots of different people involved in ed tech and other aspects as well um, we are going to be on two different stands so you you won't be seeing double we really are there twice so do come and talk to us at bet show um, and we've also got some really exciting shows coming up in the next few months with our sponsors at john cat um, about four really exciting books which i just really wanted to preview at this stage so the first of those is the power of teams by sam crone and that's going to be a show with Catherine taylor the power of teams explores evidence of across sectors including education to find out what high performing teams share and how we can adapt the most effective teamwork strategies to the unique environment of a school for the last few years sam chrome who's a school leader deputy head and director of education he studied high performing teams trying to better understand how teams can become more than the sum of their parts and he regularly blogs speaks and works with schools regarding their teams helping educators maximize their effectiveness um, our second show with john cat is equity in education by Lee Elliott Major and Emily Bryant and it sets out a new equity-based approach in education to help teachers improve the prospects of under-resourced and working-class pupils. Now Lee Elliott Major is Britain's first professor of social mobility at the University of Exeter and is previously chief executive of the Sutton Trust and his work is dedicated to improving the education and life prospects of under-resourced children and young people. And Emily Bryant is an experienced teacher of human sciences in the southwest of England and leader on socio-cultural and economic disadvantage in school, current doctoral student at the University of Exeter. Um, our third show of John Cat is presenting Children to Maths by David Shattuck. I believe Lucy is hosting that one. Now, we know that mathematics is not a universally popular subject, neither within nor outside of school. This book argues that while much needed improvements to mathematics teaching are necessary to address such issues, they're insufficient without also imbuing children with a character required to learn it effectively. And David Shattuck has taught mathematics in primary and secondary schools, in the state and independent sectors, and to boys, girls, and mixed gender classes. And he holds a master's degree in mathematics education from University College London. And our final show with John Cat this time around is a fantastic book called Initium by Emma Turner. Um, Emma's very active here on Twitter slash X. And it's a book that looks with care and specific attention at the needs of our youngest learners for the development of age and stage appropriate practice and pedagogy alongside the joys and realities of working within the primary phase. And yeah, Emma's worked in primary education for the last 25 years. So we've got those shows coming up on Teachers Talk Radio. Really excited about those. A uh, big shout out to Andrew, to Mike, um, to the wonderful team at John Cat. We're not far away from our millionth download, so do keep on downloading all of our podcasts as well as listening live. Thank you to all of our listeners tonight. I am back in two weeks' time, um, 29th of November. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to be discussing. I think I've got a few plans. Um, but they can always change depending on what the education landscape looks like. So again, a huge thank you to Mike for the first part of the show, to Andrew for the second part of the show, to Lucy behind the scenes, to all of our listeners. We'll hit a million very soon. I can't wait to celebrate with everybody. So tune in. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.